0: Hello and welcome to this episode of The Art and Design of Sci-Fi and Fantasy, Mystery and Horror. In this episode, I speak with Michael and Denise Akuta. Uh, Both of them have worked on a number of Star Trek projects as uh, graphic designers and consultants, uh, starting with Star Trek IV, then on to Star Trek The Next Generation, and then the uh, Star Trek series that followed those. Uh, They've worked on a number of Star Trek books, both as writers and contributors. They've worked on remastering the Star Trek original series. Um, So in short, they've done a lot of uh, work involving Star Trek, especially the graphic elements of Star Trek. I will note, as an interesting little aside, they met uh, through a sort of Max Hedrum uh, toy that I guess Michael Akuta had. And uh, I actually interviewed Matt Frewer, who played Max Hedrum, uh, in the same place that I interviewed them. And I took their podcast um, photo, cover art photo, in the same spot, more or less, that I took Matt Frewer's picture. So that's kind of a funny, interesting little coincidence there. Um, But definitely this interview will be of great interest to anyone who loves Star Trek, who loves Star Trek graphic design, sci-fi graphic design and uh, anyone just involved or interested in getting into graphic design for film and television. All right. Well, thank you and enjoy. I'm here at Shirley 40 with Michael and Denise Okuda, um, graphic artists and designers. Um, Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you for having us. So um, let me start by asking, how did you get into this business?
1: I actually got into the business because um, uh, I, I grew up in Hawaii, and I was uh, I was working on very low-budget television commercials, and I was working on community theater and corporate graphics. Then, um, uh, after the Star Trek the Motion Picture came out, uh, I just being a uh, being a fan for for life. I was doing sketches about what I thought the control panel should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent some sketches into the. Uh, uh, to the production office at Paramount Pictures, and I was delighted that I got a uh, I got a phone call back from uh, Ralph Winter, who was associate producer on Star Trek III, and, sa- and he said, uh, "Well, you know, uh, we're making Star Trek III, we're, but we're already staffed up. But if we, if we ever do a Star Trek IV, I'll give you a call."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought, "Wow, it's the nicest brush off you'll ever get." Yeah. And to my utter shock, two years later, uh, Ralph in fact, gave me a call. He said, hey, we're making Star Trek four. Hmm. Uh, do you want to work on it? And of course, he didn't have to ask twice. Right. <laughs> okay. And, uh... I
3: have kind thing. of an unusual story in the fact that this was not my first pro- my first profession as I was a registered nurse mm-hmm. and I actually came up, some people in the production of, early production of TNG um, knew that I was a nurse, knew that I liked Star Trek and said, can you come up and talk to the production designer, Herman Zimmerman and um, spoke with two illustrators, senior illustrator Andy Probert and uh, illustrator uh, Rich Sternbeck about how I would like to see the sick bay of the future. Mm-hmm. And I was taken up to the art department and um, um, saw this little figurine of Max Headroom, and, and the television series Max Headroom was brilliant. It was way before its time. Mm-hmm. And I said, who owns this figurine of Max Hedrum? And it was Mike. And we started chatting. One thing led to another. And Mike was working on Star Trek V, the feature Star Trek V. And if I wanted to see him, I'd come up to the studio on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And he started teaching me how to do backlit graphics and so forth. And so I started helping out. Mm-hmm. And then Herman, her, Herman hired me to work on Star Trek VI and then Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Michael, um, once you got this big break with Star Trek, um, did it change your approach
1: to how you did your work? Or... Well, one of the things I learned is that uh, all production, whether it's a low-budget local television commercial or a community theater or a big feature film for Hollywood, it's all fundamentally the same sort of thing. It's, uh, uh, you're always, the, the, the actual work certainly changes, but the approach that is you, you look at the resources. You look at what uh, what the uh, producers want to do in terms of storytelling. You look at uh, um, at the styles, and you try to find out. What's the best compromise between all of the different conflicting, uh, con- conflicting needs? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's always a, you want to make this bigger, but it can't be too big because it uh, uh, you have to be able to move this out of the way uh, between shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want this to be brighter, but it can't be too bright because um, it, it can't overpower the the, the set lighting. Uh, you want this to uh, to be um, uh, to be complicated and interesting looking. But you have to control how uh, how uh, how much it uh, 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 how much it pulls the eye mm-hmm. because you don't want to compete with the uh, with the cast there's always compromises involved mm-hmm. and you uh, and fundamentally you're always looking for uh, for that sweet spot as best as you can mm-hmm. with the limited resources with the limited information and uh, with the limited amount of
0: time you have mm-hmm. uh, Denise as you uh, developed uh, within this industry were there points where you uh where you suddenly had, like, a big eureka moment, like, oh, I should be doing it this way, or any big jumps or changes in how you worked?
3: Um, I was very impressed at the speed in which production happened. I mean, as a, as a nurse, I was part of a team, but it was very, very different. Um, I think the aha moment was the fact that this needed to be done on schedule and budget, and that was something that was a bit different. Um, also, Michael um, put me in charge of, um, uh, made me uh, a video coordinator for Star Trek Deep Space Nine because we had 24-frame video for the first time on monitors in those sets. Mm-hmm. And that was an organizational job, and I was very used to being organized as a nurse and then in my own life. So, um, but that was another, uh, another switch, so to speak. I divided my time between... Working in the art department in graphic design, but I was also organizing um, the video and working on set to make sure that the right image went on the right s- screen for the right scene.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that sounds really easy. Like, of of course you're in red alert here, but in fact, someone has to laboriously track every screen in every scene mm-hmm. and and know when the cue occurs. And and, and Denise did all those things and. You know i would see her working incredibly hard but the final result on film looks completely uh, effortless mm-hmm. but that's because of hard work so for either of you are there anything is there anything special about the
0: way you do your work compared to other people who do the same kind of work
3: well i think the huge advantage that we have is we're married mm-hmm. and and uh, michael was my boss mm-hmm. of course at work um we weren't a married couple he was my boss and I think the reason it worked is because I respect him and I respect I respect his knowledge and his um, direction so I didn't have a problem with it. If he told me to do something even if I didn't agree with it, I did it, he's my boss. Where mm-hmm. if we come home that kind of the the roles are reversed. But um, we didn't have any problems working together. A lot of people say you know, did, wasn't that a hard to do? And I said, absolutely not. I it was it was great, and also because at three o'clock in the morning, we could talk about things that are happening the next day in production if we were both awake. So I thought it was an advantage.
1: Also, Denise is very very tolerant, so I was very lucky there. Uh, one very small thing, um, you know, with uh, with. With computers, mm-hmm. it's uh, if you devise an alien-written language, it's actually very easy to uh, to program your alien font into the computer, so you can type in the alien language. Uh-huh. And a lot of people like to do that, and that's and that's really fun. You, you, you can write something and and have it make make sense uh, in the alien language. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've I've had designers working for me who, who like to do that, and I say please don't. And the reason is that. Uh, if you do that, and then you, you, type, in, uh, you, you type it in on, on your, your screen or, or, or into your graphic, mm-hmm. um, at a certain point, if you step back, if you see it in the background, it's going to be—you're uh, going to write like, like English. It's going to be r- broken up into little—it's going to be in horizontal lines broken up into small groups of characters. It's going to—it's uh, probably going to be organized in paragraphs. So, as you step back and look at it, no matter how clever the character design is. As it gets a little fuzzy, it's going to look like English. And right. I think that's a disservice. So what I've always tried to do is, as much as possible, and you can't always do this, but as much as possible, I tried to give each alien written language a different visual grammar so that even if you can't resolve the characters, the uh, the way that they flow together on screen is different. Mm-hmm. So that helps, I hope, uh, helps you believe that it's, uh, um, it's, a, it's an a- alien language. Mm-hmm. And that's... Uh, I'm not saying that anyone who does it differently is wrong. I'm just saying that that's what I do, and I know it's different from what some people do. So, what are there artists or imagery or anything that you've drawn inspiration from for for graphic design? Or uh, my hero in terms of graphic designer uh, was a uh, an American graphic designer named Saul Bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you if you if you know the name. He's one of the great icons of 20th century uh, graphic design. He did uh, he did a lot of. He was a filmmaker. He did some um, uh, amazing title uh, sequences for such directors as Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Uh, but he also pioneered was a pioneer of the discipline that is known as corporate identity design. Mm. That is the use of uh, of graphics and logos and and consistent typography to help an organization help a company convey. Its, its image its uh, its core values mm-hmm. to its um, uh, to its customers and to its employees mm-hmm. and I have always felt very strongly that in a fictional organization like the uh, Federation Starfleet or the Federation itself mm-hmm. uh, it would do the same thing so I tried to uh, bring that that, uh, that discipline to Uh, uh, to Star Trek so that the Federation would have a logo then it would be consistent and it would be uh, throughout its use Mm. that Starfleet would have a a fairly consistent uh, um, style for its uh, for its for its emblems and its and and its signage and all and all those things Mm. now we did change it up for each successive show Mm. but within each show we tried to be pretty consistent and I think that helped yeah so Denise any inspirations
0: in the art world or or design world my
3: inspiration was Michael okay I in in life itself I like not cluttered simple lines mm-hmm. and um, that was very much in keeping with Michael's style mm-hmm. so since he was my teacher I think I probably absorbed that philosophy
2: okay
0: um, now you both have worked on you know remastering mm-hmm. uh, the original series and you've done the, the history books the reference books have you seen what what have you seen as far as the change in style across the decades of Star Trek. Any anything
1: minute that people might not be aware of? Well, I don't I, I'm sure people are well aware of it, but Star Trek has always been on the cutting edge of production and uh, and visual effects technology. Mm-hmm. That is um, you know you might look at the original series and think, well it's kind of quaint. But in fact for what you for the way you made television and, and, and film in the sixties that was pretty cutting edge. It was bleeding edge. They used optical effects, and they used uh, and they used color television, and all and, and all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Similarly, um, Star Trek, the Star Trek fi- uh, films, made use of uh, of more advanced construction techniques. They made more. They made took huge advantage of uh, of computer motion control, uh, visual effects photography, mm-hmm. um, in um, next generation. We anyway, it, it it went went on and on, mm-hmm. and. I, I think I think the uh, it's fascinating to to see that, that each new Star Trek reinvents itself based on what's available at at the time, how far can they push uh, the envelope of, of what's possible with the current uh, current tools mm-hmm. and I think that's helped to keep Star Trek fresh,
0: yeah, but then you get people complain like with discovery they're like, oh it looks too fancy
1: compared to you know what we saw in the original series well. Both Discovery and the uh, Abrams films—they mm-hmm. had a really interesting challenge, and one of them was uh, you needed to strike a balance between what came before, but at the same time, their assignment was to freshen things up. Their assignment was to change things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, would I have done things differently? Uh, probably. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would have made different choices, but then you might not. But then, different people might not have liked my choices. Sure. Denise, Mm. um, anything as far
0: as changes you've seen? You know, anything additional?
3: I think it's very interesting that um, it seems to me the less money you have for a production, the more creative you have to be. Mm -hmm. If you look at the original series, they had no money. Mm -hmm. And they had to pick a style that was consistent. uh, And Matt Jeffries, the art director, Mm went with uh, not state of the state of the art technology, which is levers and switches and so forth mm-hmm. that you'd see in the in mission Control for project uh, Gemini Apollo, Hollow etc mm-hmm. he looked at um, okay what can I, what can I design that is consistent
2: mm-hmm.
3: and um, uh, he picked a, a style that were these little resin buttons, mm-hmm. and he picked that, that there was a, a logic to that. And if you watch original series, it holds up because it's not dated. It doesn't stay there.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, I think that, um, like I said, the less money you have, the more creativity you have. When you have tons of money and you have tons of choices, it sometimes can get cluttered and over the top.
1: Um. Uh, Nick Meyer very famously said, and I think it's entirely correct, art thrives in the presence of limitation. Yeah. So
0: if you didn't have limitations, if you could choose any sets of technologies available to do, you know, graphics and, and you know, design and special effects, anything through the ages, what would you like to use, you know, in sci-fi or Star
1: Trek? Hmm... Everything comes from the story
2: mm-hmm.
1: so um, I first will always try to look at what's the story what's the setting what's the what's the emotional uh, emotional impact you're trying to have and I'll, I'll, I will generally try to convey that mm-hmm. um, you know it's it's not I always uh, I often used to say to people, uh, it's not the tool, it's not whether you're using CG or models or, or, or what, it's not the tool, it's not the brush, it's the hand driving the tool. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, uh, I almost don't care what the technology is, I don't, almost don't care what the technique is, it's, uh, it's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Denise? I, I
3: think what, what Michael said, but I also think it's really important to have a, an idea of what you're creating. And what is its function? Um, I, I think that I get very um, uh, disoriented when I, when I look at a set on any show, um, and I can't figure out what it's supposed to do. If I walk in and I, and I see all these flashing lights and blinking things, and well, what does that panel do? Um, then that bothers me.
0: So what in science, science fiction, or fantasy have inspired you apart from Star Trek? 2001,
3: A Space Odyssey.
0: Okay. That's uh, Michael. Mission Control in Houston. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Off off audio, I, I heard that you're really into NASA and you have a special dish to get feeds. And oh, yeah. Well, we used to, but no, oh, okay. now we just have well, direct
3: that's, TV. Well, that, that was a C Oh, band. that's right. That was a C-band. Now we just have direct TV. Okay.
0: So what... Uh, is there anything specific in, in NASA imagery that, uh, that really pulls you in? I know it's all cool, but are there elements that you really
1: like? Look at the design of the Apollo lunar module. Mm. On one hand, it's this incredibly clunky, goofy, strange, uh, uh, counterintuitive design, but if you look at it, it's astonishing. It's an astonishingly elegant solution to a very complex engineering problem. It's, uh, these people figured out how they were going to land on the moon, and then they designed a machine. They designed and built a machine that was incredibly efficient to do exactly that in exactly that way. There's not an ounce wasted on that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it was never going to fly in the atmosphere, so it didn't need it didn't need streamlining. Mm-hmm. It uh, it was going to operate under under these particular uh, ex- conditions of gravity and acceleration, so they didn't need uh, seats for the, uh, uh, for the for the astronauts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The astronauts needed to be able to see these areas on the surface uh, during approach and landing, and so they built a win- they built windows that that exactly gave them the field of view that they that they needed. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, and it's oh. such a work of genius that once you understand what it's doing, it's incredibly beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you ever had a design element uh, suggested to you or, or someone suggested something be taken out that uh, you felt strongly opposed to that suggestion? You know, either something that shouldn't be on a ship because it doesn't make
1: sense, or? When you're working in filmmaking, uh, it's it is a team effort, and you're working for someone. So, if a pro, if a producer if a producer or a director says, "I don't want that control panel to be there," I'm going to stage the shot so that 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 character is standing there. I want you to I want that to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that, that's what you do because uh, uh, because you're you're serving the story, you're serving the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are certainly are people who will go. Well, no, uh, I, I have the artistic integrity that I'm, I'm going to I'm going to refuse that because that's simply wrong, and I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to. That's I think that's crazy. It's uh, we're we're there we're we're there to help tell a story, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly if I disagree uh, and I think the uh, person making that decision is wrong, I'll say look. There's a good reason for this, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll say, "Yes, you're right. Let's change it." And sometimes they'll say, "You're right," or "I see what you're saying," but do it anyway. And and you know, you you, you, res- you respect the filmmaker. You re- you respect um, you respect them as an artist as well as you respect the chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there are times, I uh, a couple of times when uh, when Roddenberry asked me to do things that I thought was nuts, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Gene Roddenberry. Uh, uh, he was a series creator, so that's what you want. I'll explain to you why I think you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, and if he still wants me to do it, I'm happy to do it. I'm 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 genuinely happy to do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So Denise, I want to ask about uh, the big Christie's auction of Star
0: Trek artifacts mm-hmm. and such. Mm-hmm. Going through all that stuff, did you did you have any moments where you? Uh, you know you seeing all this stuff did you see something in it you know like a, a theme or, or obviously star trek theme but was there anything that you discovered going through all that stuff
3: uh yes um we found in the original series they used these uh tiny embroidered some of them had um were like rectangle shaped um as their medals you saw it in like Court martial. You've seen it when they were wearing their dress uniforms. Mm-hmm. We found a bunch of those in a plastic bag in the bottom of a cardboard box. Probably hadn't seen the light of day in forty years,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and or people didn't know what it was, but of course we knew what it was. Mm-hmm. We discovered that. Um, discovered uh, D. Kelly's. Um, uh, Spacesuit from the Tholian web, mm-hmm. underneath a bunch of Voyager uh, costumes, um, and I knew exactly what it was, immediately what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really the two that come to mind of unexpected things. Uh, we found the necklace from the Kolinar um, uh, sequence in Star Trek The Motion Picture. I 'm um, sure there were many other things i can 't think of anything off the top Mike
1: there was a, there was a, a box that we found that had this beat up enterprise model kit model mm-hmm. from um, the movie enterprise mm-hmm. and someone had taken quite a bit of effort to uh, to paint it and, and and detail it and but it was it was beat up and, and I looked at it and i 'm going well, what was this from and I finally realized oh this was Filmed as a miniature uh, of the Enterprise for 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 distant shots uh, in, in Star Trek II, and, right. I, and this this was a film screen-used model, and I thought, well, that's cool, but then I took it out and I'm I'm handling it very carefully because it's really fragile and you know the engines are falling off, so I put it down carefully. Then I realized, you know, like like a customs inspector finding a false bottom in this in a suitcase, mm-hmm. I realized there was a false bottom at the bottom of the of the case. Mm-hmm. I took it out. And underneath it, in a second compartment, was a uh, was a model of the Reliant. Uh, so, uh, uh, and and both of them had been used uh, as filming miniatures in, in Star Trek II. So uh, I, I I was thrilled that I discovered it uh, because uh, I hope the person who who bought it appreciates it because that's such a cool artifact. Were there any uh anything you found that
0: you were uh, said said to yourself, oh that's how they did that, you know, any kind of costume or prop that. just something that didn't make sense how it was how it was done we
1: uh you know we worked alongside with um costume designers like Bill Tice and uh and Bob Blackman Blackman. but you know we didn't work in costume and there was a huge amount of it so yeah we're constantly going oh my god I had no idea the stitching was so beautiful um I remember Denise pulled out um uh uh, queen arachnia 's uh, costume from this uh, Star trek voyager Captain, uh, Captain proton episodes mm-hmm. and that was that was so elaborate and so beautiful I was, I, I, I was almost afraid to touch it <laughs> yeah the,
3: the, the costumes I think were the thing that we you know you 're doing your job you 're running you run down to stage, you do your thing, you leave you go back up to the art department we saw the the costumes and they were amazing but you never really touched them and fondled them and looked at them and um, they were amazingly crafted Mm -hmm. and um i think that was the thing that really stood out that these 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 costumes were just beautifully made
0: so a little bit of a whimsical question did you have growing up did you have or when you were a kid a tech device or superpower you wish you had
3: oh wow um I don't remember. Uh, if, if I was the kid inside of this adult, I probably would want to fly, um, but a superpower, I don't, I don't know. Maybe fly. Oh,
1: this is this, I'm, I'm holding up my, uh, my smartphone, my iPhone. This is, uh, this is pretty much a Star Trek device. This is the sort of thing I wish I had when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, okay. So are there any big projects that you really want to get your teeth into that you haven't done yet?
1: We have been incredibly lucky. Uh, you know, we left uh, we left Paramount quite a few years ago, and there's been a pretty steady trickle of, of interesting projects. We, and we never know what comes up. Just suddenly the phone will ring, and uh, oh, we're going to remaster Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, I'm working um, for uh, I'm actually working on a project for uh, for Warner. It's a Film called *The Mule* that's directed and stars Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. and it's uh, that's something that something that uh, just almost came out of the blue. I, in fact, uh, it just suddenly they sprung it on me. I, I almost didn't make it to, to this convention because mm. I thought I was going to have to uh, be working on it. But fortunately, they were very understanding. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we never know what comes next, and we're uh, we're always looking for the challenge. I'm. Um, one project I'm working on is, uh, we like to visit, uh, um, uh, uh, we love the beauty of, of our of national parks. hmm And when we're there, uh, being the sci-fi geek that I am, I like to imagine, oh, what would it be like if this was, uh, if this was an alien planet and there was, a and there was a ring system, co- uh, uh, that's reflected in, 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 that, in that, uh, in that lake. hmm And so, um, what I've started to do is as, uh, as, a, as a personal project is a series of, of art prints where I take photographs that I've taken at say uh, um, uh, Death Valley, and, uh, Death Valley uh, National Park, or, or, or Yosemite, or um, and I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take the photograph, but then I'll retouch it, I'll I'll process it, and then I'll put in a little I'll put a rocket ship in there, or I'll I'll put a planet in the sky and make mm-hmm. it look. Uh, to, to bring out the beauty of, of the n- actual natural landscape mm-hmm. but then to give it a sci-fi context mm-hmm. uh, you've probably seen the NASA
0: travel the planetary travel posters. yes yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah they, they, they do a wonderful job So Denise any uh? you know it's really
3: interesting not many people can say all their dreams have come true
1: yeah
3: all my dreams have come true i'm not kidding so anything that comes from now is is bonus yeah and mike and i have gotten to a point where we just want to have fun Mm -hmm. so if we're offered a job and it sounds like fun we'll take it Mm -hmm. if it sounds like it's not going to be fun we might pass Mm -hmm. um so you know there's a surprise things that we never thought we'd be doing um and so like michael said you know the phone will ring and we'll get a new job and it's it's been real adventure
0: mm-hmm. um, where can people find your books and, and
1: the stuff you've worked on or any of your stuff a lot of it's on Amazon mm-hmm. um, uh, unfortunately the, uh, our most recent book the, uh, the 2016 Star Trek Encyclopedia is completely sold out mm-hmm. well wow. well done uh, well, thank you uh, and but uh, it makes
3: us sad because people are asking where can we get it and we say secondary market because um, and we have no control over that. I mean, Hyper, Hyper was the publisher, and uh, y- they've told us it's sold out. Are you going to republish? You know, we don't know. We can't, we, have, get, we can't get a straight answer. We can't get a straight answer. We have no idea. Right. Um, I will uh, plug very strongly, even though we don't get a penny off the sales, very strongly, and you can get it on Amazon. I think they still have it, is the Blu-ray, the Roddenberry Vault. Mm-hmm. That is our passion project. It's I think it's probably one of the most important and... Um, Past, uh, most important thing we've ever done mm-hmm. and it's the original series clips that ended up on the cutting room floor and Rod Roddenberry saved um, the film and we crafted documentaries to kind of support the, the, uh, the footage and we're very proud of it and we want every single Star Trek fan especially if you're an original series fan to check it out
0: One question I want to hit, I forgot um, what element of your work do you enjoy
1: the most? I enjoy f- looking at something and finding some ingenious way of, of encapsulating it and, uh, in- into, into something that, that symbolizes whatever concept you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, when we did Star Trek Next Generation, being a huge fan of Matt Jeffries, I quite frankly wanted to make the Enterprise D instrumentation. I, I, pr- I, pr- I pretty much just wanted to copy uh, Matt Jeffries. Mm-hmm. And Gene came up to me and said specifically, I don't want you to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, I want you to, to show that technology has advanced so far uh, since Kirk's day that it's become simple. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh God, how do, how do I do that but yet keep it interesting? And... I came up with the next generation control panel graphic design, and that was fun because it was it was come up with something that's familiar but but very different. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm very proud of that.
3: Cool, Denise. Um, probably something along the lines with Mike said something that is simple and not cluttered and tells a story.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, that's all the questions I have. Any okay. last words? Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. One of the best ways in which you can provide feedback for this podcast is to rate me on iTunes. Uh, Please give me a good rating if you like this, or uh, feel free to give me a bad rating if you didn't, and I'll use that feedback to hopefully make this a better podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram under Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi, on Facebook under Chris Alvarez WLC, on YouTube under Chris Alvarez WLC, and on Twitter under Chris Alvarez WLC. You can also get more information on my website, ChrisAlvarez.com. Please remember my name, Chris, does not have an H, so it's C R I S. A-L-V-A-R-E-Z dot com. Thanks for listening and keep imagining the future.